Welcome to Weekday Worship. Weekday Worship! That was less of a bark and more of like a... Who is the WWE guy? I don't know his name. Gosh, what I'm is his so name? happy. I get to see... I'm looking at Caleb's face right now. Well, I was in person. Live yeah. and in person. Yes. I'm so happy. I, um, I'm back in person here in our lovely studio. Uh, otherwise known as the Raoul... Bunker? Basement. <laughs> uh, I missed you. You did? I did. I mean, I know we did the recording, and we've talked, and I've, I've, I've dropped a few things off at your doorstep and seen you at a distance. Uh, almost Romeo and Juliet-esque as I was down on the ground floor looking yes. up at your balcony. Um, Bringing gifts. B- b- bearing gifts, yes. Gold, frankincense, and other things. Yeah. Mer. Uh, you, I, I think I owe you one the next time you're uh, you're sick or something. When you get COVID. When I get... <laughs> <laughs> that felt ominous. Uh, looking at the numbers, it's probably inevitable. I mean, I kind of always thought it was. Mm-hmm. Um, there are people who I've heard <laughs> have said, how have they not gotten it already in reference to... To your to family? family, because of your because of why? I I don't know. It's it might be broadly perceived that we aren't taking precautions. I don't know. I mean, we or are. That large families are just. I don't know. Maybe it's like icky. we're kind of like the wild wild west. You know? Did you say hinky? No, like icky. Kinda. Icky. I thought you said hinky. Like just like, like, you know, there's too many counters to wipe down with six kids. Oh running yeah, around, for sure. You know? Yeah, and I think I mean we are we're, we see people and we still are. We don't do a ton of people at one time, and we our kids are in-person schooling. I think that's probably part of it. I don't know. We're out there. You're on a blacklist somewhere like we're, as, we're, a, as, a, as a, uh, a, a spreader, a super a spreading super family. Spreader. Yeah. A super spreading family. Yeah. It could be. Mm-hmm. You feeling better? You good? I'm feeling okay. Okay. Me and James are talking offline. I've been having some sleeping problems. Um, I don't know if that's because of end of semester or other things, but I'm just having trouble falling asleep. So if anybody has any recommendations of better ways to fall asleep, any tips, um, James obviously doesn't. I do. What do you mean? <laughs> Go ahead. I, uh, it's, I'm going to say it the wrong way. Melatonin. Have you ever taken some melatonin? I have. Have I you have. taken that during your sleep problems? Yes. Oh. Yes. Um, there's another method, moonshine. <laughs> if, That's how the old timers did it, I think. <laughs> I mean, a few cc's of, yeah. of moonshine would do the trick. Yeah, I think that's probably. what the, the old timers called their equivalent of Zambian. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you're saying melatonin didn't work? No, it didn't. Okay. It didn't. All right. But well. I'm alive and uh, it'll work out. And I'm, I'm glad to be, like you said, back here on this pod. Um, we've got a couple weeks before we take a break. We're taking a little break. We've got, I think, one more week left before we're going to take a a break in the month of December. I hate this. I, I hate, hate it. Even I hate these I think, ideas. I'm thinking about. So here's here's a here's an idea that I'm throwing around on, on I mean, on the pod here, is so so in the month of December, um, James is going to preach and I'm going to preach and we're going to touch on uh, different. Uh, Parts of the Old Testament, New Testament coming together in terms of Christ and particularly the incarnation. And so we're, we're kind of 
going to be uh, peppering around on the, the topic of a biblical theology of the Incarnation. And so I was thinking maybe we could do one episode, a Christmas episode in December, um, where we can maybe talk about that a little bit more in depth. And James can tell us some famous Raoul Christmas stories. When you say famous Raoul Christmas stories, do you mean my, like, Betsy, James, and Ken's Anyone Christmas with the story? last name Ralph. I I'm, think of o- older. I'm just assuming that there's there's fun to be had when I when I talk about, <laughs> when I ask you about a Christmas. I don't know if it's Christmas. fun for everybody else. I have some fun <laughs> memories and things I could share. So maybe we could do that. We'll do, we'll do a, a bonus Christmas episode a in December. bonus Christmas episode. Yes. So we, you're saying we've got this week. Do we do next week on Thanksgiving? Yeah, we, yeah we're going to do next week. Or are we just going to do like a long list of things we're thankful for? I haven't for? gotten that far in my... In your planning? In my world. <laughs> All right. So we'll do a Thanksgiving episode, or Thanksgiving week episode, yes. I should say. And then yes. we have one week after that, or we're done after we're, that. We're going to be done. Really? Yeah, because I have... What are people going to do? Well, you what and... What am I going to do? You can, you can, you know, solo... You're just out. I, I've got 50 pages single-spaced to write. Um, oh, dude. I'm writing two papers right now. No, I'm like... One on eschatology, your favorite. Yes. The other on... Um, Genesis 28 and Jacob's Ladder. Okay. So I, Otherwise I, known as pharmacology. <laughs> <laughs> Is that not right? You're ridiculous. I, well, I was thinking that it was like a hallucinogen for Jacob or something. Well, I, I'll, but I'll put no. that into my... I'll give my pastor's interpretation of that text in the, in <laughs> Wait, the paper. Could you, do, uh, could you include your paper on that in the show notes eventually? Yes. Like we'll, we'll link to it if you if somebody wants to read it. Yes. Um, It'll be very important because I'm <laughs> preaching on that passage as well. Okay. I mean, it's going to be part of my preaching. So. So um, maybe maybe I maybe I should do some uh, bonus episodes on my own, but oh, do gosh. interviews like you did with my wife. You could. I could do I could do a few interviews of people that, perhaps. You can go hog wild. I'm going to think about that. Now I still have editorial privileges. <laughs> I, here's what I think I should happen. I have a certain image that, of if, this podcast. If, if I get, uh, if I, if, if you're, if you're a listener uh, to Weekday Worship, and you're listening to this right now, send me a text if you want bonus podcast interviews while Caleb is out of commission. Um, and if you've just had enough and you yourself need a break, send me a text <laughs> to say that too, baby. And we'll see if there's enough demand to uh, create the supply. There you go. Okay, we, we've uh, we've rambled around long enough, I think. So to, I, I, I had some ideas of what I want to talk about uh, today, like a month ago, because I, I had a tentative schedule <laughs> of the podcast, but I realized... Uh, my capacity is much uh, much less in reality than it is in my head. It's all right. Um, so I thought we'd throw around a topic today that one is fun and one that I really enjoy that I could talk about all day long that I really don't have to prepare for or anything. But uh, when but he says he could talk about it all day long, we're not going to do an all day long podcast. We are not. There's other venues for that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm looking across the table at you right now, and there's a uh, shadow that's like right coming out of your armpit that I thought was a sweat thing, but it's just a shadow like yes. in one little spot. And I was like, man, he's really sweating it over there. I haven't there. been but in person in, in, in a while. So. That's not very good uh, radio. No, it's not. Good. It's not a great... So thing. the topic for today was yes. near and dear to your heart, and it is? Take, uh, people on this podcast can probably guess, people that know me well. Books. Probably my favorite thing Books. in the world. 
I don't. You made that sound like the most boring topic <laughs> of a podcast ever. Okay, you hey, what are we going to talk about? Books. You spice it up. Retake. Well, you the way you framed it to me was, hey, let's talk about the value of reading. Okay, that sounded a little better than just books. So we were going to talk about the value of reading uh, as it relates to discipleship. I think, in a sense, yeah. I mean, I just like talking about books or just in books. general. Yeah. I think you were thinking a more spiritual uh, end focus there. Oh, maybe so. <laughs> but yeah, maybe that's a better way to frame it. The value of reading in our lives, uh, what I think in, is in uh, people's lives and in, in Christians' lives and in different spheres, not just in reading the Bible, but in reading other books as well, as well and how books have have kind of shaped us. Um, if you want to be a more mature Christian, we will have the written transcript of this episode of the podcast available shortly, and you can stop listening and you can read it. Yes. You can uh, annotate it. <laughs> <laughs> annotate it? Or annotate? Our, I never had to do that stuff much in school. Our kids, like all through like middle and high school language, uh-huh. are so much annotated like stuff. Mm. Well, they'll be hopefully a better... Uh, a better reader than you for it. They're terrible. Like, they hate reading. I shouldn't say they're uh, terrible at reading. Like, they, they read fine. They're all literate. But they hate it. Hmm. Do you hate reading? No. I love reading. You just complained about the episode off air before we... I complained about... You asked, you asked a question of my favorite books. And... It's just a question that's like my favorite movie. It's like I like I like a lot of books and he's, I don't He's too complex for a favorite movie, folks. <laughs> There's a lot of layers here. Uh, he he's uh he's he's like a film critic. Yeah. I yeah. we could do an episode on movies cuz that's something oh, you, I would love to do an you, episode on movies. That would be movies. right up your alley. You would be really good Ooh, at that. I yeah. I would not. I don't watch a lot of movies at all. Oh, Caleb's so sophisticated. He doesn't watch that Screen. No screen time for Caleb. He's too busy in books. Um, my head's in the books, for sure. Okay, so... so you hear that? Uh, Caleb's better than you, and I'm not. I'm like you. I like movies. Yeah, but but he can't nail them down because there's uh, there's too many. But uh, yeah. another, another pod. So let's tee off this conversation um, about books and the value of reading with... Um, thinking through... How has reading been important to you and in, in, in your obviously as a, as a person, but over your Christian life? But and and maybe a better way to frame it is: When did reading really become important in your life, and how did it? How did you awaken yeah. to reading? I've actually, um, I've actually kind of always liked reading. Um, I was not like a bookworm kind of reader uh-huh. growing up, but um, I read some. I read the heck out of some Encyclopedia Browns and uh, Hardy Boys and. Chronicles of Narnia from the time I was real little, you know, like, um, and, uh, I might've dabbled in some Amelia Bedelia <laughs> and, uh, some other thing. I loved, uh, loved John Grisham books. Like I was always reading like fiction mostly. Then I started reading biographies. I was super into sports and I started reading biographies of like, Ooh, uh, Christian there. athletes that my, I guess probably my parents started buying me. So I remember reading about like Reggie White and, you know, people like that. Um, so I, I mean, I was into I was into books. I was into story. I liked writing as well. Um, so when you think about the value of reading for me, um, I never anticipated being a preacher of any kind or being somebody who was speaking in front of folks. So I wasn't really aimed at that. I really did love to write and express myself. Because you were thinking about journalism, weren't you? I was. Right yeah, that was what I studied in college. So, um, so I was always thinking. My dad was a really gifted writer. 
Um, and so he kind of, I was homeschooled and so he kind of taught me to write and he probably is a part of where I got love for reading cause he was a big reader. I mean, I don't, my, my dad always had a couple books going and so, uh, you know, he'd, he'd have the TV on late at night watching the news, let's say, and you'd come up and get a drink of water or something from your room and he'd be there with maybe the TV on in the background, but reading a book, you know, and, or he'd fall asleep on the couch and his book would be across his chest, you know? And so he was a big reader. Um, and so I think I, I probably picked up on some of that from him also in, in the homeschooling, he taught our language arts stuff from the time I was in like seventh grade or so. And, uh, so I mean, we, we covered a lot of classic literature and stuff like that. And I, I, so yeah, I just enjoyed, I enjoyed reading and I enjoyed story and I enjoyed, Writing, and I think if you want to be a good writer, you have to do reading because you have to yeah. read good writing if you want to For be sure. a good writer. So, I mean, those are some of the first things. I don't know. What about you? Yeah, uh, I I wouldn't consider myself a reader at all until probably the end and right after high school. Um, I mean, I I love sports, and I and I I wasn't usually sports and reading don't go together when you're in grade school. I mean, for sure. Typically, yeah. Um, Although, like, I, I, this, this, that was back for me, that not for you, because you're like 14 now. But for me, <laughs> I'm 14. I, I was back when I was a teenager, or like you know, middle middle school, elementary uh, school. In the 70s. I would wake up in the morning <laughs> and I would race out to the end of the driveway. I wanted to beat everybody to the newspaper so I could read the sports page mm, and the comics. Yeah. And so, Why at Sports Center, uh, right on the TV every morning. Yeah, I didn't have cable. We didn't have TV growing up for a lot of it, and then we didn't ever have cable. Um, so I was deprived mm. and relegated to the AJC sports section. And guys Classic. like Mark Bradley and what was uh, Terrence, Terrence Moore and Steve Hummer, I think was his name. Those Not were like a clue. The colonists. Don't know any, any of those names. A few guys my age are going to know those names listening to the pod. Hmm. And they're going to be like, oh, I remember that guy. Yeah. But uh, but there is one book or set of books that I remember captured me. Even I, I think some of the books that shape you the most are the ones that captured you when you weren't a reader as a kid, or mm-hmm. when you weren't as as cognizant about books when you yeah. were younger. And that was Lord of the Rings for me. Eighth grade, ninth grade. Uh, my uncle, uh, one of my uncles who's now uh, passed away. He uh, he bought me for Christmas one year the the set of Lord of the Rings, mm-hmm. Hobbit, and the and the trilogy. And uh, I remember skipped reading, right over the Salmarinian, huh? He did. Most kids do starting out in eighth grade. <laughs> yeah. I'm just joking. I, so I feel like I need to confess at this point. Oh, I've no. never read oh, Lord no. of the Rings. Oh no, I've never read them oh, or the man. Hobbit. That is. Pastorally damaging, I know. in my opinion. I know, like my credibility is significantly compromised. Like, there's entire Christian networks and websites who probably never let you write a piece for them because of. But that. I'm, but I am currently rereading once again through Chronicles of Narnia with my daughters. So maybe uh, The Hobbit um, next. So mm, uh, I don't. Know. I'm, I guess I'm just a Narnia guy. I don't know. Ugh. Oh, okay. Anyway, you well, were saying depressing. about you that those made a mark yes, on you. Yes, the the Hobbit made a huge impact on me. Just reading it through, I mean, because of its greatness, right? It's like I think there's books that are so great that we all just stop, even if they're not even in our wheelhouse. Like you think about, you know, people, somebody, somebody who loves who loves <laughs> Beowulf. <laughs> You're just on it today. People are going to think we're way too obnoxious today on this podcast. <laughs> but it's like it's. 
it's like somebody who's like a tennis fan, right? Who doesn't care at all about basketball, but they when they watch Michael Jordan play or they see LeBron, you mm-hmm. know, do something incredible, they recognize it, right? Yeah, sure. I mean, I think there's a lot of books that are like that too. Um, mm-hmm. And The Hobbit for me in eighth grade was it just it just blew me away in a in a way that no piece of literature really ever had. Yeah, and um, and so I remember that in grade school, like that really being informative. And I and I've I've reread that series and those books ever since multiple mm-hmm. times. I mean, just love just love them. Uh, but I really didn't care about reading until I became a Christian. I became a Christian at eighteen, and and uh, I think it's natural for that the the convergence of kind of becoming a young adult, stepping into college, also becoming a Christian. Uh, reading becomes. The, when those, the, I think those t- things converged uh, for reading to become something really significant in my life, mm. particularly because I had questions. I had, I was, I was questioning things and questioning uh, what I thought about the world, about God, about uh, what was myself. That when you came, when you, yeah, when you sort of awakened to the Lord in that more, like in that way, what was like the first thing you read? Uh, a, a book. Uh, a book that really, in terms of a practical, was a, a book by Banning Leapshire. He's a, you know, he's a guy um, who was a part of the Jesus Culture movement, um, and that book really had a marking on me, just in terms of like awakening me to reading uh, yeah. on spiritual things. But but it wasn't until I read, which is one of the most impactful books to this day in my life, Desiring God by John Piper. It was one of the first things I read really. Um, wanting to go deep into understanding God and the scriptures, uh, it just opened my mind sure. to a world that I, I, I didn't know, a world of, of investigation, a world of, uh, of Intellectual history. Intellectual rigor. Yes, and just a, a wonder that I yeah. had never been awakened before. And so I, that, and that happens to a lot of people, even if they're not Christians during that time period of their life, of college years, of, of coming... Uh, Having a more uh, uh, deeper, I don't know, appreciation for for reading and and thinking about the world and such things, mm-hmm. uh, but but particularly as a Christian, it was just awakened during that time in my life. Yeah, and so that's kind of when. But but I think here's 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 the broader conversation is, and tell me if you if you agree or disagree with this. Uh, I think reading. Uh, we're all reading, even if you're not a bookish person. You're reading. I mean, our whole our social media, our online platform, everything is based on text. Sure. And so we're, we're all reading. And I think reading, what we read, what books we read, what articles we read, what websites we read, uh, what columns we read, those sorts of things. Mm. Uh, reading shapes us theologically, intellectually, politically, socially, practically. Reading shapes us. And I, and I think recognizing that early on uh, Helped, it helped me, and, and I think helps others mm-hmm. uh, really take serious what we're reading. Hmm. Yeah. Man, I, I certainly... And it makes sense when you think about the mechanism by which God has chosen to most uh, particularly reveal Himself to us is by giving to us the written Word, right? And so... God himself has articulated himself as a way for us to come into knowing him and um, into making sense of life and, and life with him specifically, but life in our world. And, and so it makes sense that there would be a sort of uh, power 
in our consumption of of what is written and in our reading and everything that that it is shaping us. And so certainly, um, I, I think both. You know, we were talking about movies earlier. Movies similarly, yeah, shape us. Yeah, and and the reason is is because whether you're a director of a film or an author of a book or a, a blogger or whatever is you have a message and you have a worldview and you have truths that you're trying to draw out and uh, essentially, let's say, preach to other people. And, the you know, you're giving shape to the thinking of your readers. And so um, I think that's where, you know, the question you framed, I think back a few minutes ago when we first kind of went into the topic was um, why is reading important? And I think this is the answer to it. Mm-hmm. And it's because reading shapes thinking. Yes. And it's really important at all times, but certainly in this moment in history, it's really important that we are clear-headed, sober-minded thinkers, that we're critical thinkers, that we're able to um, distinguish between truth and error. And um, there's a lot of ideas out there, man. There's a ton of ideas, and most of them are really bad. Mm -hmm. And, And yet, even the worst of ideas... Um, usually if they're going to get any traction, it's because there's something appealing in them. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so I think reading is really important because it shapes how you think and therefore what you choose to read becomes really important because you're probably going to think in line with, you know, the balance of what you read. Yeah, I mean, in, in a lot of ways. It's a, you hear this kind of as a cliche, you know, you, if, you, if you look at somebody's bookshelf, you can probably tell what they think. I, now, do I think that's 100% accurate? No, I do not. Um, but but it's absolutely true. If you were to walk in my house and or in my apartment and look at my bookshelf, you can tell what my interests are. You can yeah. tell what my what my theological strain is or, mm-hmm. or my tradition is. You can tell my, what my what emphasis uh, of thinking uh, I categorize. So if you look at my shelf, you're going to see a lot of apologetics books because that's something that I highly right. value. Right? Right. Does that mean that that everything in every one of those apologetics books is something I, I agree with. No, but it does mean that's a, an area that I value, and that's the that's where I lean towards mm-hmm. because of the volume of those things, right? In me, and I and I think we need to recognize that because I think a lot of us think we're we're more objective than we actually are. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, the, look, I I'll have to. I have a brother uh, who listens to the podcast. He might be listening to this episode at some point. And, uh, um, I, I, like, we've both gone, I don't think it's, he, w- he would certainly agree with this, we've both gone in very different directions. We, we both came to probably similar, I don't want to say crisis points, maybe they were crisis points, but pivotal moments in our life, um, with particularly in our spiritual life and our walk with God, where we were dissatisfied with similar things, I think, uh, within our Christian experience and within church and those kind of things. And uh, at that time in our lives, um, we both came to this point. And I would I would tell you that I can look back 12 years, 15 years, and largely where we both are is the fruit of what we have read. Hmm. So he he latched on to certain writers, authors, ideas. I latched on to certain other ones that were both addressing and speaking to the, the, the discontentedness that we both experienced. But 
where we've gone and trying to resolve some of those things in our own lives have taken us down radically different paths. And it's been largely through the, the influence of the written word and then those writers and some of the ideas that they kind of have fleshed out and that have caught on down different streams or whatever. Yeah. So, so I can see how it's directed our course very differently. Yeah, for sure. And so how I think about that, because I think that like you being honest and saying there's things that I read that led me down this way and there's Mm -hmm. things that he read that led him down this way. It's not a, it's, that doesn't, uh, that doesn't mean that it's kind of a subjective, whatever you read, that's what you kind of just hang on to. Uh, that there's, there's an objectivity to truth. Mm -hmm. Um, but there is a tendency to, uh, whichever way we lean towards, uh, we're going to gravitate to more things, uh, that agree with us. Sure. Um, and that, and that, uh, uh, form the opinion that we're, that we're already kind of led down. And here's one of my, most of us don't have the bandwidth or the time or the, even the capacity mentally to, if we're honest, read really broadly yeah. to the extent that we can kind of have yeah. this idea over here and we're going to read all the other different yeah. iterations of ideas that contend with that yeah. and sort through it all. Like most of us just don't have that I, th- I think that's a, I think, I think that's true, but I think that's a worse problem today because of people's attention spans. Um, mm-hmm. If you look at, if you look at books and how they're published today, the length of books that sell um, increasingly gets shorter. Sure. Because people's attention spans are, are less. And, and, and within less. those shorter books, you need to have a bold, centered heading about every page. Yes. Just to break up the section to make yes. me feel like I'm making progress. Yes, yeah, so you can fly <laughs> through it, right? But also, you, you can be more uh, kind of generalizing and, and not, as, uh, not as complex in how you're presenting your arguments. Yeah, um, and so we have a society in in all realms that books become even the books that we read. A lot of us aren't. A lot of people aren't reading books, but even the books people are reading are becoming shorter and shorter and less actually tracing out some of those different things. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I look at one of the one of the one of the things I love to do the most is if I'm going to look at a topic, I want to find I want to find the one uh, one book. That's really, really thick with a lot of footnotes on a particular Mm -hmm. topic so that I can trace that out. I think that's a lost habit for us. I think we're used to having generalized hit me Mm -hmm. 90-page books on our topic rather than thinking through an argument. And we've talked about this before. I think that's a problem for our culture and how we... How we uh, exchange ideas because we're, we're used to getting the the cliff notes. When we really, in order to understand what we're agreeing or disagreeing with, uh, we we need a. Yeah, really, what we'd mostly do is if you hear an idea that you maybe don't like or doesn't fit with your ideology or your worldview, a lot of times what we do is uh, we we hear it, the bad idea presented to us by somebody whose ideas we like. And they have a five-minute version of the idea that's bad, and then like a 20-minute talk on their combating that idea. And then we just regurgitate that. Yeah, As sure. if we've done diligent, like, thorough study on both yeah. the bad idea and the good idea. And this idea. goes beyond books. Yeah. We hear, we hear, a, we hear a, a YouTube clip of somebody on the other side of the political spectrum of us yeah. that's very snippy and kind of generalizing. And somebody what we getting don't, crushed by we, the other side. Yeah, we don't, we don't go find a, you know... A, uh, you know, a 25-page article that actually lays out the, the 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 argument and the facts and the different sure. views. We go find 
a an equally four minute clip of a snippy generalizing on the other side, so right. it becomes this less complex idea. And I, but I don't want to get yeah, bogged more. down there. Um, but there's a couple of things that I wanted to pull out of uh, what how important or, or how valuable reading can be and, and the power of reading um, in a few different ways in books. Um, were you going to say I, something? I, I just I, I just think it's important to recognize, too, like I, I was with a group of guys yesterday who were talking about uh, audiobooks, and, and I, I, I'll say this, like I think some of us learn differently and, and can maybe do more if, like, let's say, say you listen to an audio book. Like, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But I do yeah. think it's important to, to develop at some level the discipline of reading in that it slows you down. Um, it, it forces you to, to maybe focus in a, in a different way. Um, and, and, and so, um, anyway, I just, I just think that, that you should not only listen to things, yes. right? I think, I think, we've got this gift of a lot of books and a lot of content that's been written for us. Um, and, uh, certainly we want to learn to read the Bible if nothing else. (laughs) Um, but I think, I think, you know, obviously there's value in listening to, but I think there's real value in actually personally engaging and reading for sure. And I think reading broadly helps us read the Bible better as well as we, uh, hone in on the craft of reading, reading is a craft and, and how we understand it. But a couple of things I wanted to pull out, um, I think a lot of times when Christians think about reading, they think about uh, uh, theology. I think they think about practical. I think they think about even uh, social uh, arguments or dialogues. Um, and they don't think a lot about story. Mm. And, I, and I think here, here's one of the problems. One, I think those things are necessary. Like when I, when I want to know, okay, what is it? What does the Bible say about salvation, and, and how do we think through some some salvation issues? I don't really want a memoir, you know. I want a book uh, on that topic of theology, helping me understand the Bible, helping me mm-hmm. uh, work through certain issues, maybe in history or maybe in, in interpretation, those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. Um, but that becomes the dominant sphere of how we kind of read in the Christian world a lot of times, mm-hmm. especially in our strand. I think um, of people who are more biblically and theologically literate and who care about those things, rightly so. Um, and I think it it creates uh, our, we downgrade story a lot of times because it's not as, it's not as straight and kind of to the point as a theology or theology or, or practical books. I think this really works out in the political sphere as well. Um, when we think about uh, how we're how we're reading the world and seeing the world politically or, or socially. A lot of times now we're, especially I think this is a Western mindset, which I think is a good mindset, but it has, I think it has its downfall, is we see everything in terms of, uh, of data points and how we're reading something uh, as an argument or as a, a laid out kind of a scientific method. Uh, propositional. Yes, propositional. That's a really good way to put it. And I think, like I said, story becomes something that is... Uh, less important. And I think it does us a disservice in how we're actually seeing the world and seeing each other if we don't incorporate story into our reading and shaping Mm -hmm. as well. Yeah, this is something I've been working on. Uh, You know, I've been trying to, because I didn't go to seminary, I spent a lot of years immersed in ministry, uh, in theology and then ministry practice books for a lot of years. And um, just in the last few years, I've started to try to recover, um, some reading in fiction in the fiction area. 
as well as in the biography area, which were just very yeah. deficient in my life. And so I've been really grateful for the last couple of years where I've engaged a few books like that, where it's been, um, and it's not a lot, you know, I'd like to be able to do more of it, but, um, my life's kind of busy. <laughs> right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I, but yeah, I'm, I've been, I'm, my life has been enriched, I think in the last few years and my learning has been enriched. I mean, you know, you were with us. We we went through uh, Martin Luther's biography at the mm-hmm. beginning of this year with a group yeah. of like six guys. Yeah, and that was like really cool. Yeah, it was uh, a wonderful. I, I read experience. his biography actually many years ago and reread it this year with with that group of guys. And man, it was a it was a cool thing to go through together. And we read yeah. a, a shorter biography on Jonathan Edwards as well. And um, so that was really cool to just kind of learn through the life of somebody. You know, um, so yeah, I, I think. I mean, you know, you asked that question about books that are shaped. What, what, what question are we on? Were you were talking I'm, about I'm stories. still kind of in yeah. this. Yeah, so this I was going to say, like, I mean, Chronicles of Narnia, I was joking about that earlier. Like, I, like Narnia is shaping to me. Yeah. I mean, like, from, a, from, the, from the time of a little kid, like, the, that sense of wonder that came with Narnia, that sense of possibility, yeah. and the idea of another world, that stuff got embedded in me early from, from the Chronicles of Narnia. Yeah. Um, I would say... Um, and then uh, certainly different scenes from that story, from those stories, some of them are seared yeah. in my mind you yeah. know, in really and powerful ways. Don't you think story has, has a, a very unique way of communicating, uh, it, communicating both uh, how we see each other, mm-hmm. how we see other people, and uh, how we uh, understand the world. And uh, in, our, in our dominated uh, kind of sphere of... of things being propositional, this becomes, this becomes kind of looked down upon in a way. I understand it, but it yeah, looks in at fact, it, so. I think this is partly where, for somebody who's in the apologetic space like you, yeah. I think this is partly where we've lost the culture with Christianity. Yes. I think Christianity somewhere along the way got sterilized into propositional only approaches almost mm-hmm. to where we lost compelling narrative and the fact that the gospel is yeah. um, not only, but it is yeah. certainly... A story, and, and not only the story of Jesus revealed through Scripture, but but there's also the, the kind of story. I mean, I don't know. There there are stories that flow out of that uh, uh, redemptive uh, stories that are that are compelling, that are beautiful. But I think, frankly, for a while, for a generation at least ago, I think we're recovering some of that now. But when you think about the film industry and television and even fiction writing and stuff, the most compelling, beautiful. Uh, captivating stories of our culture were coming from uh, the unbelieving secular community. Yeah. And they've, in, in a sense, they've won the audience, let's say, or they've won the culture yeah. in many ways through story. Yeah, for sure. So, and even putting this into kind of current conversation uh, in our in our culture, so I have a quote here from a book that you and I are well. We're, we're both reading. We're we're at different spots in it. Uh, this it's a book called Strange Rights, and it's a it's a <laughs> yeah. We are both reading it. You've finished it, and I haven't started it. <laughs> we both have it. Let's say that. Yes, we both have it. So right, we had a book. We had a list book of three. I've done yes. one and a half. Yes, we started at different places. Um. But the the author there points out some some disconnections between uh, maybe the older generation and the younger generation, maybe the conservative movement and the and the uh, the, the liberal movement. And uh, uh, she quotes this uh, this 
uh, writer from Cambridge in the Cambridge area, uh, the university, uh, that I I think that I thought was interesting. I'm going to read it when talking about this particular issue. She says, uh, the problem with academia is that knowledge and truth are perceived in very limited ways and which marginalize and erase many people's own experiences. So, for example, the value placed on being able to debate in a persuasive, data-based, and point-by-point manner means that most discussions at Cambridge, even those to do with personal experiences, feelings, and opinions, are forced into the framework of academic exercises, proving the truth as the primary and most valid way which devalues people's lived experiences. Now, (laughs) I disagree with her on this. I think that I think that data-based uh, uh, arguments are, are more important than feelings and opinions. And uh, they may not be more powerful, though. They may not be more powerful, but but I, 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 I there's trying to be an, uh, an equivalence of those two mm-hmm. um, that I don't think is real. But I think she is onto something, and even applying it to what we're talking about here today, we're in how we look at the world, how we how we intake information, how we understand people and ideas and societies is all through, I think, what she talks about, data-based propositional mm-hmm. arguments. And it, it misses another piece of understanding the world, people, and each other uh, through story, through people's mm-hmm. experiences. Uh, and I think w- we get caught up a lot of times in because we're so data-driven uh, in our reading, in our thinking, that we have a hard time. We have a really hard time taking stories seriously. When I think stories are really uh, important part of seeing the world as well. Mm-hmm. So an example for me, uh, I remember in college, I took a class. It was a it was a it was an English. It was an English class and an upper level English class. It was a few years into my college um, education. And uh, the, the teacher, it, w- it was based on, on narratives, and uh, I didn't know what those were going to be. So the teacher kind of got to pick a topic uh, that the whole semester was going to be on, and, and he chose uh, women's studies and, uh, and the African-American experience. Mm-hmm. And he chose, he didn't choose one book on, uh, with data points or, or propositional ideas or those sorts of things. It was all narratives. It's all mm-hmm. fiction narratives, everything we read. And um, there, was, there was a point to that, I think. He, he, he didn't want to get into those sorts of ideas. But what it did for me is it humanized some of the things we were talking about sure. in a way that the data just didn't. Yeah. And uh, from a perspective that that I was, you know, on the other side of in a mm-hmm. lot of instances, and it, it really slowed me down how I'm thinking about uh, different arguments, whether it be in the mm-hmm. political sphere, the social sphere, even the the, the Christian world sphere, uh, putting faces and stories on the the topics that I'm debating. Yeah, and I think story is a really important part uh, of doing this, and so uh, that's why I, I think it's really important to incorporate. Uh, fiction and nonfiction and biography into our reading, mm-hmm. or we would be, or we become sort of machine-like, data-driven uh, yeah. people. Yeah, and I think this. I think we're watching this play out a little bit, not to get too too relevant <laughs> or uh, controversial, but like when we think about some of the the um, social, racial kind of upheaval conversation right now in our culture, is that you have a lot of people on one side that are 
here are the facts, here are the facts, here are the facts, number of arrests, and, mm-hmm. you know, all these different which things. Which are relevant. It, which are relevant, and they, 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 they certainly reveal something. Yeah. But then you have this other side who has, hey, I, like, talk to all these people, and there's all these stories, and, you know, and those are real, too. I mean, like... Yeah. Both uh, need to be sifted both. through. Yeah. Both, both need, need to be, be taken seriously and, yeah. and considered. I mean, I think about, you know, I, it, what's been interesting to me is a lot of people... And, and wanting more, especially white people, to read more broadly about, let's say, the black experience and in our culture, those kind of things. I'm like, how come, like, I don't know, if we're trying to get more acquainted with, let's say, the fullness of our history as a, as a nation and everything, like, I read Uncle Tom's, Tom's Cabin in maybe eighth or ninth grade. Like, dude, everybody should read that book. Mm-hmm. It's remarkable. And it's incredibly insightful. Yeah. And, and very humanizing. Yeah. You know, and uh, so it, that's an example of where, you know, yeah. something like that can really yeah. help, I think, amplify the point. So so incorporating story into our reading is, I think, really Im- important in how we think through the world and, yeah. the, and relate to each other because it helps humanize some of the data and propositional uh, mm-hmm. things that we're thinking through. Yeah. The other thing quickly I wanted to bring out uh, before we kind of talk about our, our own favorite books. Um, and the importance of reading is is something that C.S. Lewis famously termed uh, called chronological snobbery. <laughs> um, yeah. His idea was if you don't read into the past, you'll repeat its mistakes, and you'll think you're the greatest generation that's ever lived. That plays out in every generation. <laughs> yeah. What's interesting is we would never do that. Let's say like we have a very high, like we're a scientifically based culture in many ways. Uh-huh. Right. And we're trying to lean more and more into science at some level <laughs> and fair enough. But what if we disregarded every scientific discovery up to this point in history? Right. Mm-hmm. And well, we're just going to, we're just going to figure it out ourselves. It's like, how idiotic would that be? Yeah. Right? For sure. But we kind of want to do that theologically. Yeah. Like, hey, those guys, like, they were stupid. They didn't know. Yeah. They were dealing with a much l- more limited knowledge base of whatever, or yeah. they weren't as enlightened culturally or socially yeah. or like, yeah. So it, it seems so obvious that it would, it doesn't mean that we need to take as truth everything that was written no. before us, but certainly there is absolute folly in ignoring Paying it no, any, like not paying it any attention, or even going as far as to discrediting it just because it's old and outdated. Yeah. And there's like so many spheres that we need to do this. And you mentioned theological church history. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it would do Christians, it would do them wonders if they would read the thousands of years of, of their brothers and sisters who've walked through some of the same questions that we are right now, walked through a lot of things that we will never have to think about in our life, walked through so many different things that we now stand uh, as benefactors of church history. I I think cultural history, I know something that was just mind blowing for me was I fell in love about a year and a half ago with, with uh, uh, Russian realist literature. So like Dostoevsky and, Mm-hmm. Tolstoy and um, in and Russian, you read it in Russian. No, <laughs> <laughs> that would be impressive. That would be something, huh? Um, and even more broadly, you think about yeah, yeah. So Solzhenitsyn, 
um, thinking through literally a hundred years ago <laughs> some of the same questions we are in terms of our society. Yeah. Um, so d- there's so many things in history and and how we read that can help shape us more broadly and give us. I think it hum- it humbles it humbles you to read history. Oh yeah. It well, you start to realize like my deepest and best ideas are barely scratching the surface of yeah. how deep and good these people like yeah. how the, yeah. clear their thinking was, how insightful they were. Like I think about. I think we've got sort of microwaved insights into our cultural moment, but man, the like people from a hundred years ago, two hundred years. Let's think about our founding fathers who might receive a lot of criticism because of, um, you know, racism and things like that, mm-hmm. and and you know, rightfully so. And yet, they also had an incredible wealth of wisdom mm-hmm. in many cases. Yeah, and and it's worth, you know, it's worth learning from that. Yeah. And I think actually not having general ideas of history kind of uh, um, profiles what we think history was, but actually reading uh, what happened and seeing those people's stories, mm-hmm. it, it lets us, it helps us let people be people in their era. Yeah. You know, it, it lets no more, no yeah. less, holding them accountable, but not yeah, rather condemning than them to hell. Them, their lives in the context of right now. Yes. Right, yes. understanding that they lived in their own context and they had some blinders, and on it gives and us had, a humble, yeah. it gives us a, an humble, a, a humble posture of man. A hundred years ago, what's somebody going to write about me? You know, well, what are the things? What Thankfully, are the, they won't probably. What are be the blind spots me? that we're? You know what I mean? What are the yeah. blind spots about us that we have? You know that they're going to be so. Sure. You know, so I, I, I think that's really important. Mm. Okay, so before we kind of wrap this thing up here, let's talk about some of our favorite books. Yeah. What are so, some books that have really shaped you? Yeah, so I'm going to frame this more as impactful books rather than favorite, okay. I guess. Um, I honestly think, I'm, I'm going to go back to just say, if you've never read through Narnia, I don't care if you're 50 years old, you got to go <laughs> read the Chronicles of Narnia. And if it feels a little childish and childlike, you could probably use a sense of enchantment and wonder in your life. So read them anyway. Someone's going to say, okay, then you have to read The Lord of the Rings. <laughs> They're too long. Uh, what? I'm just okay. Look, man. I, never mind. Just disregard what I said. How about that? No. Um, so I, I would say um, that that's a classic that I think a lot of people should read. Um, man, I, I've talked about this one. Uh, True Spirituality by Francis Schaeffer has been incredibly helpful to me and impactful. Um, I, you, that book you gave me a few months ago. I, I'll tell you the best book. I think the best book I've ever read about Jesus that wasn't the Bible mm-hmm. was Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortland. Yeah. Um, just a just a beautiful portrait of the heart of Christ and it that that was really good for me when I read yeah. that a few months back. Um I read that coming out of a pretty dark place and yeah. and that was really helpful. Um I would recommend that to anybody. Um that's really recent, obviously. Um Oh, goodness. Um, I mean, you mentioned Desiring God, uh, Don't Waste Your Life. We mentioned a couple weeks ago by Piper. Those were those were really meaningful books at the time that I read them. Um, those are generational books. Yeah, I, I'll tell you one that rocked me uh, as somebody who grew up in the church with a sort of um, religious aptitude, let's say. Like I knew how to do religion and church and Christianity, mm-hmm. like from a even from a fleshly standpoint. Yeah. Um, was a prodigal God by Tim Keller. Hmm. Um, that was a book that God really used to wreck my life in some really healthy yeah. ways. 
Um, so that was helpful. Um, trying to think. You name a few while I'm thinking. So for me, most impactful book over my, and this is a, this is a set of books, over my uh, Christian walk has been my hymnal. It is, uh, there's somebody who said this, that the hymnal is the most important book you own next to the scriptures. Now, most of us don't own hymnals these days, <laughs> but there was a time when everyone did. And uh, hy- uh, I've had a habit of reading through hymnals mm. since I've become a Christian, partly because of my grandmother and my connection to my yeah. grandmother. And we, she would teach me old hymns and we'd read them and sing them together in our hymnals, whether we were together or over <laughs> the phone. And um, the hymnal I'm reading through right now is actually her hymnals as a child. It was published in 1940. It would have been the one that she used as a, as a child, as a toddler and on um, in her church. Mm. And uh, reading through a hymnal, singing the songs that people for generations have been singing um, that reflect generations of different struggles you see uh, coming through those hymns and being connected to that music that spans many generations mm-hmm. uh, is something that I cherish and something that more spiritually fruitful than anything other than the Bible is and reading get, through my hymnal. And you get the musical notes with it. You do. That I have no clue how to read. Right? <laughs> but so on Sundays, yeah. I've had this habit for years. On Sunday mornings, uh, with the way to posture myself before church is I read my hymnal in the mornings. When my grandmother was alive, we would we would, uh, we would get on the, phone, on the phone and sing hymns together every Sunday. Mm. And uh, my hymnal is something I, I cherish forever, my set of hymnals. Um, more traditional books. So book that just blew me wide open is the reason why I'm in seminary today, the reason why I care about theology so much, is uh, a book, is a, a, a biography of Dietrich Bonhoeffer by Eric Metaxas. Mm-hmm. I read it when I was 20. I read it when I was 20. And I uh, was so, I had never heard of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, but the minute I read it, I thought, man, I, I, want, to, I want to be a pastor, I want to be a theologian, I want to, I want to do what this man, this man's life counted. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, his story just blew me wide open. And I actually, once I was done reading it, I flew out to Washington, D.C. to go to the Holocaust Museum, me and my dad did. And uh, you can research people, anyone from that era, and we spent days researching yeah. Bonhoeffer in that museum and it just opened me to the world of of the intersection of theology and 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 history um and how those things are not separated a man's convictions and his theology are not separated and it changed my life that book that book changed mm. the course of of what i wanted to do and what i wanted to to make count mm. um that's amazing one last book i'd mention i think there's other books that just like shock you that 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 help you understand pain and sorrow or make you feel pain and sorrow in the human experience more than others mm. that I think are really healthy for the soul. And years ago, probably my, and this is my favorite C.S. Lewis book because of that. It was called A Grief, Grief Observed, Observed yeah. um, where his, it's basically his, his thoughts and writings after his, his, uh, his wife died. Um, who he had only been married f- to for a little time, and she died of, of I think it was cancer. Mm. Um, and if you think about C.S. Lewis, a generational, once-in-a-millennium writer, going through some of the deepest pains of the human experience, and you put those two things together, and it's yeah, it's it's crazy. It's deep. Yeah. Um, a couple others that have just 
the thought of was uh, there's a guy named Zach Eswine uh, who wrote a book a few years called Sensing Jesus and then wrote an abridged version of that that was retitled The Imperfect Pastor. And uh, it's a book that I've never given to you or recommended to you because I want you to be a pastor for a few years before you read it. Mm Because it's like one of those books that like you need some of the years under your belt maybe. And and I I say that not because you have to be a pastor or probably appreciate it, but but that was really healing for me after I came through one of the most painful seasons of life in ministry for mm-hmm. us um, and a, a profoundly healing. And then another one, just on the idea of grace, came from a, a strange place for me, a guy named Paul Zoll, who's a, a, a Anglican rector, I think, in somewhere in the UK. And he, he's got a book called Grace in Practice um, that just provo- – I d- didn't necessarily probably agree with everything in it. It was – it made me think more deeply about the nature of grace um, and the interplay between law and grace more so than anything else mm. I'd ever read. Yeah. Um, and then another one that was really um, helpful to me in terms of how to walk with Jesus was John Owen's book, The Mortification of the Flesh, which is a difficult read because he's, you know, it's from the Puritan kind of age. Yeah. And, but there's a, a, a book called um, The Enemy Within, uh, by Chris Lungard, who wrote basically a contemporary modernized. version of that kind of, yeah, modernized uh, phrasing in a sense, or, uh, but taking what John Owen wrote, you know, hundreds of years ago and putting it in, in really readable, understandable language for us today. And so that would be maybe the most accessible version of that. But yeah. that taught me, Owen did, about the nature and depth and pervasiveness of sin but not in a hopeless way, in a way that I could deal with it. Yeah. In a way that I could learn how to actually put sin to death in an ongoing, everyday kind of reality with God that was, I mean, that that changed a lot for me. So, Well, we were going to talk about our favorite books of the Bible. <laughs> um, I don't I, I, I don't want to just skim over that. So maybe we'll, we'll start with that next week. Um, okay. Some of our favorite, favorite books, books of the Bible. Some of our favorite books of the Bible. Um, but well, we hope you enjoyed this. Maybe uh, turn us off and read a book or two. Let me, um, <laughs> can I read a quote first? You can. I wanted to read this. Just This is from John Wesley, and uh, maybe we'll end here. Yeah, we will. <laughs> um, John Wesley, this was from a letter that Wesley wrote a young minister, and he, w- he was a guy who poured into pastors and was a leader of leaders and that kind of thing. And, and this is an excerpt from a letter. Uh, And I'll make maybe a couple comments after, but let me just read it first. He says, What has exceedingly hurt you in in time past, nay, and I fear to this day, is want of reading. I scarce ever knew a preacher who read so little as you, and perhaps by neglecting it you have lost the taste for it. Hence your talent in preaching does not increase. It is just the same as it was seven years ago. It is lively, but not deep. There's little variety. There is no compass of thought. Reading only can supply you with this, with meditation and daily prayer. You wrong yourself greatly by omitting this. You can never be a deep preacher without it any more than a thorough Christian. Oh, begin. Fix some part of every day for private exercises. You may acquire the taste again, which you have not now. What is tedious at first will afterwards be pleasant. Whether you like it or not, read and pray daily, he says. And then he ends saying, it is for your life that you Hmm. do this. And I love that. Yeah. Right. And so I just would say, like, to those listening um, to this, uh, turn us off and and pick up a book or something. No. Uh, I, I 
he's t- saying that to a preacher. I would say it to us to be a reasonable thinker, to be an engaged Christian, to be on a trajectory towards maturity. Um, you harm yourself by omitting this from your life, I think. And I think you do yourself a great service by undertaking the discipline and giving yourself just a little bit of time each day to what he calls private exercises, you know, in, in the pursuit of reading. And again, what he says, you may acquire a taste for it, even yeah. though you don't have it yet. Um, I think it's a worthy pursuit. For sure. So read a book. We'll see you next week. <laughs> Peace out, guys.